Good morning, Rabbi Sai. Welcome to Psachim Daf 74, Ad. So we're starting, uh, we're, get, we're about to be in uh, Purim time, so Ad reminds us, Ad Dolo Yada. That soon we'll, we, we'll be celebrating Ad Dolo Yada until we don't know the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Arachaman. So welcome to everybody who came into the building and through the weather. Welcome to everybody who braved the storm and got all the way to your couch and are uh, connected to us on Zoom. So welcome to everybody. We're going to start off with the sponsorships. Uh, for Wednesday, we have a Talmud Torah sponsorship by the Elbaum family for the recent, recent yard site and in memory of Gerald Elbaum, Yaakov Kifel ben Avraham Menachem Zal, loving father of Avron, Shan, and Judah Elbaum, and loving husband of Shirley Elbaum. May his memory be a blessing and remain eternal in our hearts. And by Bracha Strimber, in loving memory of Avi Strimber, Avraham ben Kalman Eliezer Levizal, and his ninth yard site. We also have a week of learning sponsor by Gail and Dove Sanger in honor of their grandson, Atil Mordechai Weinberg, will become a bar mitzvah, Parshas Yisro, and be called to Torah on Shvat 23 in morning Minyanite. That's coming right up. So in, in this unprecedented time, family members can share in his simcha, mazel tov, and by Moshe and Devorah Wordesheim for Fua Shlema for Yara Gittel Bas Shai Etel. Thank you for all our sponsors for making this daf possible, and thank you for the Rebbeinu Shalom for having us start a new parak today. It's a tremendous treat, tremendous and delicious treat to start inside Solin. How do we roast it? And I, I'm already craving the barbecue, just thinking about that. <coughs> and so uh, we're starting at the top of 70, uh, 74. It's interesting that Chizkuni says, uh, uh, says on, on the Torah that every aspect of the Pesach in Mitzrayim was uh, a shtoch to the Avodah Zorah, was, was a, what we call in your face today. That's, that's the lasha the kids use, is because what did we do in, in uh, Mitzrayim is the Jews were told to take the Gdi to drag it, mushru, drag it through the streets. And the Gdi was actually worshipped by the Egyptians. There are actually some ancient sources who said the Egyptians were vegetarians, they were militant vegans. And just like in India, if you uh, hurt a cow, then the people would, uh, you know, at least in the past, they would they'd beat the person up or cause them serious harm for hurting animals because they thought the animals were reincarnated souls, whatever it is. So in Mitzrayim, they used to pray to sheep, at least to sheep. And uh, so to drag a sheep through the streets, the Egyptian would be saying, well, that, wait, that's my God. You would, wait, I gotta pray to it first. But the Jews were taking it right in front of them. And not only that, the Jews tied it to their bed for four days. And you can imagine the noise the sheep were making. And the Egyptians are, are powerless when the Jews have got their idols, their gods tied to the bed and they're bleeding. And they're like, help, help. But the Egyptians can't do anything. And not only that, is we're, we're instructed to do this in the afternoon. In front of everybody, we're going to take the sheep out. We're going to slaughter them publicly. And we're going to start a barbecue. We're going to do tzli. We're going to do a barbecue. Now we know, Rabbi when the neighbors make a barbecue, you smell it. It's beautiful. You go, oh, delicious barbecue. So we know that the whole Mitzrayim could smell the Jews roasting the, the gilulim, the idols, the gods of Mitzrayim in front of them. And they were powerless to stop it. And that, around that time, that's when the Egyptians had a civil war. The Bechorim said, this, enough is enough. The, the, the firstborn Egyptians rebelled against the other Egyptians. So we have Shabbat HaGadol. Shabbat HaGadol is not just for the long drusha, but it's because it was a great Shabbos that Hashem protected us from the Egyptians trying to kill us, even though we had taken their gods in front of their eyes, and it was a real in-your-face to them, as they say. That's what the Chizkuni says, so that's one of the reasons the Torah commands us to roast it, is because that's what we did in Mitzrayim, and also it has that, that communal kind of sense to it, like, oh, we're making barbecue, we're getting together, we're making a roast, we're making a barbecue, everyone smells it, everyone gets together, and part of the whole inyan of Karban Pesach is the Am Yisrael gets together with Achtos, we're Ole Rego, we get together in groups, we have, we have our group, we have our chaveirim, and we, we have a, a roast together. 
So Ketzad Solin, how do we roast the carbon Pesach? Eta Pesach. Mevin Shepud, we bring a spit shell Rimon from a pomegranate tree. We put it into the mouth of the animal, until the opening. And we put the legs, which we had cut off, and the kishkas, which we had removed and washed out, back inside the cavity of the animal. That's according to Rabbi Yossi HaGlili. So there's an interesting point there, is we have the legs there also. Now the Rambam writes explicitly that we leave something in the legs. Who knows what's not kosher in the legs of an animal? Oh, hey, wow, multiple, multiple answers. Gid Hanasha. Rambam says, when you get to the Gid Hanasha in your carbon Pesach, you eat around it. But you leave it in. You leave the Gid Hanasha in your carbon Pesach, and you roast it, and you eat it. Now remember, this is going back about two years already. When we learned Hulin, there's a whole parak, there's a whole chapter in Shas about Gid Hanasha. Gid Hanasha is not kosher, it's also deraisa. And there's a machlokis, if the Gid is no tentam, if it has its own taste, that that taste can go out into the rest of the food. There's a machlokis, if it has its own taste, or it's like wood, it's like eitz ba'alma, it doesn't give out a taste. But even if it doesn't, the shumana Gid, the um, fatty sheath around the Gid, that does have a taste, and that would be an issue. So the Rambam says you just eat around the Gid Hanasha, you leave it in. The Raivid, the Raivid gets very... Uh, he gets, he gets the Eishel Torah. He gets very fiery about the Rambam. He says, that's not kosher. It's also the rice. It's simply not kosher. He says, in fact, if I was Ezke, if I was Zoche, to be uh, eating a carbon Pesach, and they brought me a carbon Pesach like the Rambam, I would throw it on the floor. Not kosher. So it's amazing things. So if the Rambam and the Ravid were eating a carbon Pesach together, it would certainly be uh, interesting and heated. Uh, it would be heated in more ways than just the Tzli. We'll, we'll put it that way. So that's an amazing... Uh, a note from the Rishonim about the Gid being in this carbon Pesach. So Yossi Galili says you, uh, you put the legs and the kishkas back in the cavity of the animal, you roast them all together. Rabbi Akiva Omer, come in Bishel Huzay. Now that's kind of like cooking. You understand what's going on with Bishel is Bishel is usually refers to cooking in a pot. So you put your food in your pot with some water, some liquid, and you're heating up the pot, and that heat from the pot transfers to the liquid medium into the food. So Bekiva is saying, if you're putting the kishkas back inside the cavity, now the rest of the animal, the outer part of the animal with the bones and everything, that's kind of acting like a pot that we're heating up from the, from the sleeve, from the barbecue, and that's causing a, a bishal kind of activity to go inside for the kishkas and the legs, and you don't want it to be bishal. In fact, the Torah tells us you have to eat it sliyesh, and then it tells us you don't eat it nam bishal, you don't eat it cooked with bishal, with a liquid medium in a pot, and you don't eat it raw. See, it's davka sliyesh. So he says, that's not a good idea. What do you do? Ela, rather, tolin chutzalo. You hang them on, on the shvud, you put them on the stick outside, on top, on top of the, we're going to see they put the legs and the kishkas on top. That was the other option. Mishnah goes on, Ein solen es a Pesach, lo shfud, not on a stick, this refers to a metal stick. Rashi says a barzel, it's, it's copper, some sort of metal, we're going to see why in the Gemara pretty soon. We also don't do it on a metal grill. We don't do it on a grill, it has to be davka on the stick. Amarad Tzadok, Rav Tzadok brings, there was a Misa, a true story, by Rabban Gamliel, She'amar Tavi Avdo, he said to Tavi, his slave, now Tavi shows up in, in uh, a few places, in, in Brachas, he shows up that uh, he was kosher, and Rabban Gamliel accepted um, consolation as a mourner when he passed away, he shows up in Sukkot, that he slept under the table, so he was, he was a Talmud Chacham, but also in, in Evid. Uh, he and Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel tell him on Pesach time, say that Solilano is a Pesach al-Oskula. Go out and grill us the carbon Pesach on a grill, not on a spit. 
So that's kind of interesting, is he's sort of uh, bucking the trend here. What's more interesting, Rabosai, is there's two Rabban Gamliels. And the Rabban Gamliel we're referring to here was the Nasi after the Chorban Habayis. I'll let that sink in. The pe people on Zoom are still waking up here. We're still waking up here. He was the Nasi after Chorban Habayis, and he's saying, go out and roast our Pesach. So, okay, it could be. Some of Farshim say, well, it, it happened when he was a kid, before the Chorban Habayis. The Nitziv says directly, this was after Chorban Habayis. And they still were cooking up a carbon Pesach. They're still bringing a carbon Pesach after the Chorban Habayis. The Nitziv says, until Betar happened. He says they still knew the Makam of Mizbeach. They knew where the Mizbeach was. It was possible that some sources say the Mizbeach might have still been there. Even after the Chorban Abayis, the building was gone, but the Mizbeach was still there. Or the Nitziv says they knew where the Mizbeach was, so they could put the Dom there when they brought, the carbon, when they brought their Karban Pesach. But they knew, they knew the locations. And we understand the Karban Pesach is special because even if, well, if Rove of the Tzibor, if most people are Tamei Meis, you still bring the Karban Pesach in Tuma. So even if, the, you understand, Rabbi the year after the Chorban Abayis, there's no base of Mikdash, everyone's Tamei Meis, they're burying, they're, they're dead, they're, it's, it's horrible, but they could still bring a Karban Pesach in Tuma. They knew where the Mizbeach was. And the Tziv says specifically, that's, that's what we're referring to, is even after the Chorban, Rabban Gamliel was the first Nasi after the Chorban, and he was instrumental in maintaining Achtos and uniting Klal Yisrael, you know, with Karen Yavne, right? Uniting us around the Sanhedrin, around the Torah, and, and bringing us consolation, bringing us Achtos, bringing us uh, a lot of dinim of Zecher L'Chorban, you know, that we, that we shake the Lulav all seven days, Zecher L'Bayis, all of these things to remember the Chorban Abayis. And here he is, he's, he's roasting his carbon Pesach, Rabbi the Rav, uh, Rav Yaakov Emden says uh, in Shailas Yavitz, he says specifically this was after the Chorban Abayis, and they asked him about uh, Pesach Bizman and it's an issue, it's an issue, but in, in, in theory, if you know where the Mizbeach is supposed to be, you know where to put the Dam, mm -hmm. then even if you're Tamei Meis, in Kolshken, you're not Tamei Meis, but even Tamei Meis, you could bring a carbon Pesach. And the Rambam in Hilchos Beis Bechira, chapter 6, Salcha 15, he says, Makrivin Afopi She'ein Shambais. You can bring the carbon even though there's no Beis HaMikdash. Lemaisa, they tried. They tried in 2007. A group got together with the Kohen Miuchas and some animals. They petitioned the government, the Supreme Court. There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of politics, backroom deals. The Supreme Court said, no. We understand you have a religious freedom interest, but there's a chance of, violent, of a violent response from the um, B'nai Yishmael, so we don't want to do it. In 2008, they, they appealed again, and it didn't go through, but there are people out there who want to bring a carbon Pesach, and they, there are sources, there are reliable sources in the Rishonim and, and uh, the Rambam that you could bring the carbon Pesach in without a base of Mikdash. And according to the Tziv, they kept doing this until Betar. Betar is when the Bar Kokhba revolt took place. Rabbi Akiva thought he might be Mashiach, we might rebuild the temple. Uh, but then the Romans apparently wiped out the, uh, enough people, Nebuch, or they wiped out the, the place where the Mizbeach was. So it wasn't recognizable anymore. And it also raises the question, you know, we, we don't have a Mesorah, we don't have a Navi of exactly where the Mizbeach was, but what about relying on archaeology? Archaeology gives us a lot of hints about the outline of the temple, the temple complex and the Mizbeach. Is, that, is archaeology reliable when we don't have a Navi? So that's, that's a whole other discussion we're not going to get into here. But this is a very interesting point, that Rabban Gamliel was having Tavi roast up their carbon Pesach, and this is the same Rabban Gamliel, according to many, was after the Chorban Abayis. So this is an amazing thing. Can you bring the Pesach after the Chorban? That is our Mishnah. Good, let's get into the Gemara. Now, now, we're, now we're excited. Why don't we bring a spit made of metal? So here's the answer. Because once part of the metal gets hot, 
all of the metal gets hot. So you understand the bottom of the metal spit, which is in your fire, it's gonna get very hot, and then it's gonna be hot up on the inside. What's gonna happen? Kametave machmata shafud. Now the inside of the animal, where, where it's touching the spit, is going to get cooked, not because of the fire, but because of the shfud. The metal gets very hot, and now it's searing the animal from the inside, not just doing tzli from the outside. V'rachmana amar, and the Torah told us, tzli eish, has to be roasted by a fire, Below tzli machmat davar acher, not tzli from something else, not seared from contact with a metal uh, stick, but only roasted from a fire davka. So if you put the metal stick inside, then it's going to get all very hot. You know, metal is a good conductor of heat, and it's going to roast sear from the inside. So why it had to be remoaned? It was davka a pomegranate in the Mishnah. Why don't we bring sheldekel from a palm tree? So palm branches have grooves, as we know. Mapigmaya, so in those grooves, so liquid is going to come out. And again, a li- introducing liquid means it's not as much as sleet, it's more of a bishel. Bishel, that cooking we do in a pot, is with a liquid, with a liquid medium. We don't want liquids involved here. We want it to be dry roasted. Vahave kimavushal, and that would be like cooking. Why don't we bring up a fig branch? So that's hollow, so mapigmaya. So because it's hollow, it's going to ooze out uh, sap. And also introduce mine, be like Mavushal, Chabi like Mavushal, Nasi Shel Alun. Why not bring of an oak tree? Apparently, that is less sap. Vishel Haruv, or a carob. Vishel Shikma, or a sycamore. So these are, you can get nice branches out of these with less sap. I did the Isbe Kitre, but they do have knots. The Mapik Maya, and so, they, so some liquid, some sap, will exude from these branches from the place of the knots, and that sap is going to be, understand, in between the shvud, in between the stick and the animal, and it's going to make sort of a mavushal kind of issue, which we don't want. We don't want uh, to introduce liquids into the tzli of our carbon Pesach. Shel rimon nami, isbe kitre. So rimon, it also has knots. So, okay, shie kitre, but those knots are smoother. So apparently those knots are smooth. I'm not an expert in rimon tree wood, but if you see a pomegranate tree, apparently the knots are smoother. They're not. They're less likely to exude sap into what you what they're in contact with. Ibayis ema benavga barshata, or it could be a sapling one year old of the rimon tree. Delays bekitra. It doesn't have knots yet. So this is an interesting thing that uh, seven years and five months ago I wrote a big question mark next to this, and I, and then I, I wrote a note to myself that I would find seven years five months later on the next cycle of Dafyomi. And I said, but a rimon is a fruit tree. <clears throat> and we have a mitzvah in the Torah, Baltashchis, that we don't eliminate fruit trees. So apparently we were cutting down a fruit trees in order to make the spits for the carbon pesa. And you understand, Rabosai, we saw the Mishnah, three groups, hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of carbonus pesach. That's a lot of, it's a lot of rimon trees. That's a lot of rimon trees. So first of all, investment advice. When we make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, soon, God willing, we should plant a lot of pomegranate trees because there'll be a high demand for pomegranate trees every year around Pesach time. So that is, will be a very good investment, a wise investment will be to plant Rimon. And then I answered myself in the notes, and I said, because maybe they're only one year old, there's no fruit. So this is a suggestion that Gemara gives. If it's a one year old tree, there's no knots yet, so maybe the knots are related to the fruit. Maybe it grows more knots in the wood as it's starting to grow fruit. Maybe a one year old sapling of a Rimon doesn't have the knots because it doesn't have fruit. If it doesn't have fruit, there's no problem cutting down the fruit tree. Or maybe you say there's less of a problem because only potential to have fruit, not real fruit. It's not a baltashchis. We don't have to be worried about the curses that uh, some of the mafarshim say come on people who cut down fruit trees for no reason because here there's a reason and here there's no fruit yet. So that was that was my answer from seven years, five months ago in the last Daphiomi cycle. But 
we know that now good investment advice in Eretz Yisrael is to plant a lot of pomegranate trees. We will need a lot of them. Good. So, uh, but the place you cut the branch, the Rimon branch, would leak the sap out. The Mapik Leve Poske Levar. You put that outside of the animal. So, what's going on is you cut off the branch to make your shvod, to make your spit of pomegranate, and the place you cut is outside the animal. So, whatever sap leaks out of there during the tzli is not going to become a problem. So, invest in pomegranate trees, Rabosai. Masnisin to look Rabbi Yehuda. But our Mishnah is not like Rabbi Yehuda. Tisanya, there's a Brysa, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. Just like the a spit made of wood is not doesn't burn up, so too using a spit made of metal is not going to be martech. It's not going to boil up the animal from inside and make a problem. Amrulo, they they say no. They answered Rabbi Yehuda not like that. But by metal, as we mentioned in the Mishnah, if you heat up a little bit of the metal. You heat up a lot of the metal. The entire metal conducts heat, and it gets very hot. But by wood, you heat up some of the wood. It doesn't necessarily heat up the rest of it. Now, everybody say, this is halacha lemaisa. What if you're making chicken soup? You're making a pot of chicken soup, and then someone comes along, and they didn't know better, and they took a milchig spoon, and they stirred the chicken soup. So it's a whole, it's a whole simon in the Shulchan Aruch about uh, what happens when you stir your chicken soup with a, with a milk spoon, or vice versa. And it depends. Rabbi say, what's your spoon made of? Because we know, again, two years ago we learned chulin. We know you have a concept of bitul b'shishim. If you have 60 times uh, the material, then you're mevatel, the other taste. It's like the other taste is not recognizable, not discernible, and not halachically relevant. So if you have 60 times more soup than that milchig spoon you dipped into it, Rabbi then it's mevatel. But how much of the spoon do you need to be mevatel? Ah, so here it is. If you have a wooden spoon, then only the part of the spoon that was inside the soup, that's the only thing that had contact with the hot soup. That's the only area of the spoon where the blios, the absorbed tastes of, of um, dairy products could come out. So you only have to be mavatol, the kaf of the spoon, the, the head of the spoon that went into your soup. But if your spoon is metal, the Shulchan Aruch brings, mandamar, that the entire metal spoon gets hot so potentially the blios of milk from that entire spoon could have gone into your chicken soup. So you need enough chicken soup in that pot. You need shishi, you need 60 times the entire spoon because it's metal, ham mixaso, ham kulo. So it's something to be aware of when we're stirring our chicken soup. Try to put the dairy spoons away, but if it does happen, the misa, it does make a difference if it's a wooden spoon, a wooden ladle, or if it's something metal. So it's ham mixaso, ham kulo. Based on the physical properties of these material, there are halachic ramifications. Good, the two dots. Nisan Eskarov. They put the kishkas, they put the legs inside. Tanya the Rabbi Yishmael. There's a brisa from the academy of Rabbi Yishmael. He says, Kuruhu Tuch Tuch, that he called the carbon Pesach Tuch Tuch while it was cooking. Tuch Tuch refers to the sound a kettle makes or a pot makes. We understand when it's boiling, the pressure, the bubbles kind of push the lid up. It goes Tuch Tuch Tuch. We saw this in Brachos. They said you should cook the beets until they say toch toch. So you put them in the pot, you boil them up, it says toch toch. So we see what, what was going on is Rabbi Shmael was holding like Rabbi Yossi Galili that you could put the kishkas and the legs inside of the animal, even though the outer part of the animal is kind of like a pot for the legs and it's kind of the, the cook, the, it's kind of like cooking going on in the middle. So there's some gases escaping or pressure escaping, making these toch toch noises. We see that Rabbi Shmael did like Rabbi Yossi Galili in the Mishnah and put the kishkas inside. Rabbi Meir called it a Rabbi Tarfon, sorry, this test. Rabbi Tarfon, our famous Kohen from the Seder, 
he called it a Gdi Mikulas. And yesterday we saw Rabbi Tarfon miss night Seder because he was uh, eating Truma, a Truma Gedola. So he, he was, uh, that was his excuse for missing night Seder because it was an avoda he was doing. He called it Gdi Mikulas. Now Gdi Mikulas means a helmeted Gdi. They put a helmet on the Gdi. What's the helmet? Is the Kishkas. They put the Kishkas on top of the head. They stuck them on the spit also. So you had the animal on the spit and then the Kishkas on top. And uh, it was like a helmet on top of the animal. So he held, not like Rabbi Yossi and Galilea, like Rabbi Akiva, that you need to put them on the outside on the spit. What is the Gedi Mikulas, the helmeted Gedi, that you can't eat on Pesach, in our time? So apparently this Gemara is not referring to the time of Rabbi Gamliel when they were still bringing a carbon Pesach, even after the carbon Abayas, but it's referring to a bit later in time when they made a Gezerah. We don't eat roast, we don't eat a roasted animal on Pesach, and it's still, it's still the Minag. There's discussions in the post game, well, what if it's chicken, Bidi Eved, you don't have anything else. What if he roasted it first? Could you fix it by cooking it? You could roast it if, if the, you, you understand, if, if the uh, lady of the house made roast, because she forgot the halacha on Erev Pesach, and there's nothing else to eat. What if you throw it into a pot of water and you boil it up after? So maybe that's, a, that's an Eitzah that the post game bring to save your Pesach dinner, save your Pesach Seder. Uh, from going over the the Gzeirah Durabanan of having roasted meat on Leil Seder. So this is Bismanaze. Now we remember there was a fellow three weeks ago in Rome. Anyone remember the guy? We learned him three weeks ago in the Dafyami in Rome. There was Todos, Todos Ishromi, who in Rome instituted a custom where they'd have an entire roasted animal on Leil Pesach, and the, and the Chachamin didn't like it. The rabbi said, if you weren't Todos, we'd put you in Nidu. We'd give you an excommunication because you're karov to causing the Jews to eat uh, kodshim bachutz, because someone might make a mistake. Instead of saying, zeicher the korban pesach, they might say, zei korban pesach. And that would be kodshim bachutz now. That would be a problem. If it's only a zeicher, it's okay, but because they're roasting it whole, they're making like a gedimah kulas kind of problem with it, they didn't like what Todos did. And they said, if you weren't Todos, then we would excommunicate you. And there was a debate there. Well, why didn't they? Was it because he was a strong man and he was like a, had mafia connections? Or was it because he was a Talmud Chacham? And they concluded there, this was uh, three weeks ago on Nun, Nun Gimel, he was, a, he was a Talmud Chacham. And they didn't like it, but they let him get away with it. So what is this Gedim Akulas that we don't, that we're not going to serve for Pesach Seder here in, in Chutzlaretz? Kol uh, Solo Kulo Ke'achad. It's when you roast the entire thing as one. But nechtach mimenu ever, if you cut off a limb, or nish or nishlach mimenu ever, or you boiled from it a limb, einze gedim mekulas. It doesn't have the problem of being the whole animal that uh, we the the Chazal told us not to cook like this for a Pesach seder bismanazeh. Hashda yeshlamar nechtach. So you're going to tell me cutting off a limb mimenu is uh, good enough to make it not the gedim mekulas that we're having a problem with. Uh, even though you cook it together. So it looks like what they did with the carbon paste is they took, they cut off the legs and the kishkas, and they, but they did roast them all together. So you're telling me that cutting off a leg, even though you're cooking it together, that's, that's not, it's not so bad as a gedim kulas. You know, you, you know it's not a carbon Pesach. Uh, Amrat, you tell me that's not a, a gedim kulas. Uh, what about boiling it? So nishlak is boiling, shlika is boiled. So if you're boiling it, you're obviously not roasting it whole like a carbon pesach. That he's roasting it when it's attached. Uh, sorry, he's boiling it attached. So if he boiled one limb of his roast while it's attached, then it doesn't have a problem with gedim kulas. And again, this is the eights of the post game bring. If someone accidentally made roast, heir of pesach or the pesach seder, is go ahead and throw it in a pot and boil it up real quick. You have it make shlika, and now it's not the problem of 
of eating roast. We have the minag, we have the gezeira, not to eat roast on leil seder. Amaraba hamul yasa sharye. Stuffed meat is mutter. Now this isn't just chicken stuffed with stuffing. This is meat stuffed with meat. So we see this is not for the vegans. This is, uh, you took a chicken, you took out the kishkas, and you put in some beef. Or you took your gdi, and you stuffed in some chicken. So beautiful. And that meat was raw. Now he says, uh, Rabbah says, it's sharia, it's mutter. What's, what could be the problem? But it absorbed blood. So what is happening is the blood from the stuffing, the blood from the raw meat inside the outer animal, is coming out from the force of the fire, the force of the heat of roasting it, and it's going into the outer meat. And we're going to take a look at this taisvos, the big taisvos in the middle, high mulyasa sharia. The stuffed meat, meat stuffed with meat, an animal, rather, stuffed with meat, is mutter. Perish Bekuntras, the Rashi explains, even though you didn't salt the stuffing, the inner meat, only for tzlin. So there's two different kinds of malicha. There's a malicha lekedeira, salting meat to put it into a pot. That's a whole process where you have to rinse the blood off of the meat. Then you salt it. The, the post game say yaffa yaffa. We saw this in Hulin. You salt it yaffa yaffa. That could mean both sides. It could mean a lot of salt. And then you wait for the salt to do its work of extracting the blood. And then you rinse off the salt because now the salt contains blood or both sides. It's us or it contains blood. And now this meat is ready to go in a pot with other food. It's not going to leak out blood into the pot because you've extracted all the blood that's relevant do with the malicha process. Now malicha litzli is a little different. We, it's actually less. It could be just a dash of salt. It's just sort of to, to help the blood start to come out. But we really rely on the tzli, on the fire, to really get the blood out. So if it's lekadeira, it needs a whole process of malicha with rinsing, salting, rinsing, with waiting in between to get the blood out. And if it's litzli for barbecue, it needs uh, very little preparation, just a dash of salt, not, nothing major. So the Rabbeinu Tam, back in the, in the Taisos, the Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Tam says, Tzli roasting really doesn't need malicha at all. The dash of salt, he would say, is just a, a zecher, the kol karban chatokriv milach, that all of our karbanos, all of our meat in the base of Mikdash needed salt. We saw uh, even, the, even in Zvachim, even the firewood needed salt. We even put salt on the firewood. It was on the Mizbech. So everything needed salt. You don't need salt at all when you're roasting the meat well. Because because of the roasting, all of the blood's going to come out. So that's mutter. Because the fire of roasting is even more effective at, at extracting blood than the process of salting. We see this every day. We do cook a liver after we roast it. We don't, we do not cook a liver after salting. Now, liver is interesting because a liver is basically blood. It's basically congealed blood. In the eyes of halacha, it's basically congealed blood. It's full of blood. Liver is very bloody meat. So if you simply salted the liver and then you wanted to put it in a pot with other food, we're concerned that there's still blood in the liver because the liver has so much blood and that blood's going to leak out. So the advice is to roast to have roast liver, to have a roast liver or to have chopped liver, to roast your liver up before you cook it with other food in a pot. So that's what's going on here is he says that even if he didn't roast it all the way, we rely on roasting because it's very effective to extract blood. We rely on it for the liver. Even if it wasn't roasted entirely through, we rely on that to get the blood out of the liver. Not all the blood came out. Mutter, it's mutter to cook that liver with other things. Now here we're gonna find out the problem. 
There's a law of a lota say not to eat the dam ha'evarim, the blood in the limbs. So we know there's the the lifeblood of the animal that has a iser karis. So we don't we don't we don't drink blood. Jews Baruch Hashem Jews don't drink blood. Um, but there's also dam that's in the meat after you slaughter the animal and it, the lifeblood goes out. But there's still blood in the blood vessels in the meat in the basar itself of the animal. So when is that asr? When it comes out of the meat. As long as the blood hasn't come out of the piece of meat, shari, it is actually permitted. There's not an iser on blood that's inside the meat. So what's going on here is when you want to cook meat in a pot, you want to make a cholent, and there's a liquid medium, then if that meat is raw and it's not, been, not had salted, not been roasted, it's full of blood. And when you apply heat, that blood is going to come out into all your other food, and all your other food will uh, have the iser of damevarim, which is now perish. It's now separated out of that meat, and now you have a problem. But if you've roasted it first, you've extracted that blood. Roasting is even better than malicha. So that's damevarim shapirish. That's why we do salting of the meat, and by the roasting of the meat, that's why it'll be effective. So that's the issue here. Uh, the rest of the toast is also good, but we're going to get back into the Gemara. So that's the issue here about the meat stuffed with meat. Haimiliyasa shari. So that's the question, is the blood from the inner meat, which is raw meat, it's not been salted, it's not been roasted yet, we have raw meat inside of a raw animal. So the blood from that raw meat is going to come out of that raw meat and go inside of the outer animal, inside of your carbon Pesach. Rabbi says back, This is a famous concept in Kashrus. The way it comes in is the way it goes out. As it's absorbed, as it's bolea kach polta. That's how it can get out too. So his answer is, Yes, that's true. The blood will come out of the stuffing, the inner meat, and it will go into the animal around it, but then it's still roasting. It's still on the roast. That blood that's been absorbed in the outer meat is going to come out again all the day the roasting. The fire will draw it out too. Just like the fire drew it out of the stuffing, it'll draw it out of the animal outside. Name of let's say this is a support for him. For our Mishnah, you can put the legs and the kishkas into the animal. My time, uh, what's the reasoning? Because you would say, just like the blood is coming out of the kishkas and the legs into the carbon Pesach body itself, it'll be drawn out by the fire again and drip into the fire. That's different. Turning over, made of dive. Because the opening where you shechted the carbon Pesach has an opening so the blood from the innards can drip out into the fire. So name of Messiah, top of Ahmed Beis. Halev, what about the heart? What do you do with the heart? Heart is also full of blood. Korehu damo. You have to tear it open to draw the blood out, to squish the blood out of the heart uh, before you cook it. Lo karahu, that's it also needs malicha. Lo karahu, you didn't tear it. Korehu la'achar bishulo. You could tear it even after you cooked it. Now that's interesting. If he bidyevid cooked it with the without ripping the chambers open and there was blood in there, he could still uh, tear it open after and squeeze out whatever blood is in there. Mutter. My time, isn't that because we say if the blood absorbed into the muscle itself of the meat from the cat from the chambers of the heart that it would go out again? No, shiny lay of the shia. The heart muscle is actually smoother. It has this pericardium, it has these membranes, so the muscle itself is sort of smoother. It doesn't absorb the blood as much as other cuts of meat do. Ravin Saba, Tofle. So they say, well, there's a kasha on, on, on this. Ravan Sava, the elder Ravan, Tafle Haki Bargozlo the Rav. He prepared a pigeon which had um, a flour all over it for Rav. He made this for Rav. Amrile, Tifle, and Rav told him, 
if the um, the tuffel the the covering is is also good. The flour that you cooked it in is also is also delicious. Havli veichel, I'll eat it. So hachi bismita, that was fine flour. The mafrir that it becomes crumbly and it lets the the blood escape. So what's going on is this was the invention of schnitzel. This was breaded chicken. They took a bird and they breaded it and they roasted it on the fire. So beautiful. They invented schnitzel. So he says there would be a problem if the breading, the flour on the outside, absorbed the blood, it would be usher to eat. And we see that what Rav said was, if, if that outside is good, I'll eat that too. And it sounds like even though it absorbed blood, they said, no, it's fine flour, and it lets the blood out. So it's also kibolo chachpolto, even if blood comes out of the bird during roasting and goes into the schnitzel part, into the breading, it's going to come out again, al yadeh and you could still eat it, even though the blood went through that, uh, the schnitzel covering. Rava visited the Reish Galusa, and they also made a schnitzel for him of a goose. They made a goose schnitzel. I've never had goose schnitzel, but apparently that was a thing back then in Babel. He says, if I didn't see that the schnitzel part, the breading, was clear like glass, like, uh, like white glass, I wouldn't have eaten the schnitzel part. So what he's saying is, if I, he's saying the breading didn't turn red from the blood of the goose. In, in fact, it was clear, which shows that the blood must have gone out, gone through, and didn't get absorbed into the breading. If you tell me we rely on the way the blood went into the breading, it'll also go out. So why did he need to see that it was clear? Even if he saw it was reddish on the schnitzel part, he should still have eaten it because we rely on the fact that the blood escaped. So this was white flour, that it's, it's shorter, it kind of clumps together, it gets really sticky on the bird, and it doesn't necessarily let all the blood out, it doesn't necessarily have the blood pass through it easily as the smida, as the fine flour did. Hilkasa, and the, the lemaisa here is, de smida, with using fine flour, ben osmik, ben osmik, whether it turns sumak is, is red, Remember, we have the famous line in, in Shas and Sanhedrin, Machazis uh, Tadamach Didach Samek How do you know your blood is any redder? You know, we have this by the, the, um, the mitzvah of uh, if, if they're trying to convince you to, God forbid, murder someone else, they're trying to make a Jew murder another Jew, then the, 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 the Jew asked the Shaila, you know, the Nochri, the Ovid of Udazar, is trying to make me murder another Jew, and he says, well, you're not allowed to do it even if he's going to murder you, because why do you see that your blood is redder? That's Lashon Sumik, is, uh, is red. So even if this schnitzel, if the breading is red, if it's fine flour, that lets all the blood out because it, crumb- it gets uh, crumbly, it lets the blood escape. So even if it's reddish, we let you eat it. Bein lo sharia, that's mutter to eat that breading. De chivarta, if it's white, izig, uh, white flour. Chivarta is white flour. If it's white, uh, like white glass, it's, it's, it's clear, it doesn't have redness to it. If it's turned red, then we're concerned that blood has been trapped in the schnitzel and the breading part. Then it's also to eat that because it contains some blood. The sharkamachim, but other kinds of flour that are not the white flour, which apparently was thicker and not the fine flour. Osmik uh, if it's turned red, you know, blood's come through, we're not sure it's come out, so it's Osir. Lo Osmik Shari, if it hasn't turned red from the blood coming out of the, uh, the chicken part, the schnitzel part, the bird, then it's mutter to eat the breading. So Haimul Yasa, so this stuffed meat, meat stuffed with meat. Manda Osir, the one who says it's Osir to use Mulyasa, and that was uh, the Mahlokis we had at the bottom of, uh, of Ahmed Aleph, Afilu Puma Latata, Latachat, even if the, if the mouth is to the bottom, 
So the mouth of the animal is to the bottom, or the base of shechita, we said in the case of the carbon Pesach, or the mouth is opened at the bottom, so there's an escape hatch for the blood to come out. He says that's still usher, because what's going on is the blood is going to come out of the stuffing, the raw meat stuffing, and it's going to get into the animal, and we're not sure that all that blood is going to come out of the open mouth in the bottom. And the one who says it's mutter to stuff a raw animal with raw meat, even if the mouth is above, and there's not really a good place for it to escape, we rely on the fact that the tzli eish, that the open fire, is going to draw out the blood from the inner, from the inner raw meat to the outer animal, and then again from that animal into the fire. Kibolo kachpelta, hilkasa muyasa shari, and the halacha is stuffing the meat with stuffing the animal with raw meat is mutter. We rely on kibolo kachpelta, and it uh, has broad application. Kibolo kachpelta, the way something went in is the way it went out. We, we do this for kashras also. If a kli, a, a spoon again, gets trafed up, it was a milchik spoon, got dipped in the chicken soup, well, it was in the liquid that was made it, we call it treif, but it's not treif, it's simply not kosher. So we just boil it in, in water, kibolo kachpolto. It was in hot liquid medium, we put it in a hot liquid medium, and the blius, the absorbed taste, they all come out. That's kibolo kachpolto. So then again, by a barbecue, it's a kosher barbecue, or something used on dry heat, it's a little harder, it needs libun, because again, kibolo kachpolto, it was with dry heat, it needs a dry heat to get hot enough to get the blios out. Good. Even if the opening of the animal is above, is facing up, we allow it. So umtza, if you have a piece of umtza's raw meat, what's going on is this raw meat sitting a while, and whatever blood vessels in it starts leaking blood. So there's blood leaking out of this piece of meat, or bay or testicles, or mizrake, or blood vessels. So they have a machlokis if these things are mutter. Rav Acha lechumra, Ravina lekula. So usually Rav Acha is more machmir and Ravina is more mekel. Behilkaska Ravina, and we are we rely on Ravina lekula to be mekel. The varmi chani Aside from these three items, the Rav Acha lekula. Here Rav Acha is mekel. Ravina lechumra, Hilkaska Rav Acha lekula. And here we go lekula. Also, we let you eat these items that we will describe. Hi um said the osmik. So this uh, piece of meat that is getting bloody because blood is leaking out of the meat itself. It's dame varim, and now it's starting to perish. Chotchei. So you cut it up and you salt it. And you can even put it, once you've done malicha, you, you, know, you rinse it and you do the malicha, even though it's, it was leaking blood, it is, it is shari. Even though you, there might be more blood in there in those blood vessels, you do the malicha, and you cook it in your, in your cholent, and it's mutter. Uh, you can put it on a spit, shari, and roast it also, made of daif, because the blood will drip out and drip out into the fire. But what if you put it on hot coals? So that's not quite the same as a tzli eish. So one says, Mutter, one says it's, it's asr. Manda asr, matzmit samit. He says that putting it on hot coals, it's not really, it doesn't have the same power of roasting on a fire. So it's kind of just going to shrivel it up. It's not hot enough and fiery enough to draw the blood out, to be made of dive, to make it drip out. So it's going to shrivel it up, and some of the blood will be trapped inside. Mandashari Mishav Shaiv. And the one who says is mutter, no, the fire will, the coals even, will definitely have enough heat to draw out the blood. Hilkasa Mishav Shaiv. We rely on the fact that it will draw the blood out of the meat. The Kanbeye. And so too with testicles of an animal, they could cut them and salt them. Filo Kadeira, even put them, cook them in a pot with other food. Sharyan, that's mutter. Talini Bishipudu, or you can suspend them from a spit and roast them on the fire. Sharyan, made of dive, because we say that the blood will drip out of them. If you place them on warm coals, again, they have the same. He says they're going to shrivel up 
and not let all the blood escape. Mandashari Mishav Shaiv, he says the coals are hot enough to make the draw the blood out. Ken Mizrake. And so too these Mizrake are these sort of blood vessels. I think they're large blood vessels, they're edible somehow. Uh, they could cut them open and salt them, and even cook them with, in your cholent. Shari, that's allowed. Or hang them from a spit and roast them on the fire. Uh, with the opening down. So apparently these are large blood vessels, and they even have the base of shechita, where they did the shechita on the animal. So as long as that's facing down, because there's a lot of blood there, there's even possibly dam there, left over from the shechita. So as long as that's hanging down to let the blood out, Shari, may they dive, because the blood will drip out from the tzli aish. What if you put them on coals? He says the coals aren't hot enough to draw out the blood, but they'll shrivel it up and trap the blood. When allows it, says no, the fire will draw out the blood. We said we go to Kula Kula, so even on coals, that's good enough. It's similar enough to roasting. So this piece of meat that's turned red. So what's going on is there's blood inside the meat and you leave it sitting there on the counter, it's gonna, the blood will start to come to the surface. It's chola is asir. Now chola here, Rashi says, could mean the gravy, if he cooked it with something, that's the gravy that comes out, or it could mean the vinegar, that they were, they were noheg, uh, sometimes to put it in vinegar to stop the blood from coming out and then be able to be mavashalit. So that the vinegar uh, was kind of a, a, it caused a chemical reaction to sort of seal off the meat and trap the blood inside. So, so either the gravy is usser, can't drink it because it contains some blood, or the vinegar you use to sort of seal this meat off is also usser to drink the vinegar because it would contain some blood. Low uh, osme, if the vinegar did not get red, shari, it would be mutter because it, we see it doesn't contain blood. But ravina amar, afilo osmik nami, even if the vinegar you used or the gravy that you're seeing uh, from cooking this meat was not reddish, uh, uh, it's, it's also a problem. This vinegar or this gravy is also to drink. It has to have some blood in it because what happened is you took this bloody meat and you cooked it, so now that, that blood had to go somewhere, either it's in the gravy somewhere or it's in this vinegar. If you go like Rashi's second shot, that the, this piece of meat with blood on it was dipped in vinegar, so that, that blood went somewhere. Even if you don't see it in the vinegar, it's still there and you shouldn't be drinking that vinegar. He would drink this vinegar or this, or this uh, gravy, even though there was some possibility of blood in it. He would see there's no, he would, wouldn't see anything red in it, and he would go ahead and drink it. Or you could say Ravashi himself, he did like his father, and he drank it, which reminds us there was a famous Gemara about waiting between milk and meat. And he says, my father waited a whole day, but I, I only wait misuda lasuda. So we see that people often follow their fathers. And it's, it's a big, big muster to fathers, that when we're careful with something in halacha, we're careful, in this case, with kashrus. They saw their, what their father did in, in kashrut, and they followed that. If we're, if we're careful in davening, we're careful in mitzvah, careful in tzedakah, our sons are watching us. Our sons see this. So it's, it's a big, big muster for fathers. Amrle mar bar meymar, finishing up, l'raf ashi, abba, my father, when he used a vinegar once, he used vinegar once to seal off the meat or to treat the meat. He wouldn't use it again. He wouldn't recycle the vinegar. Once it had been used, that chemical reaction took place, and he wouldn't. He didn't think it was strong enough to use it a second time. So what is that? What is that? How is that different than raw vinegar or vinegar from uh, from fruit? Uh, which is weaker. 
So there it has the acidity of the fruit. So vinegar is made of different things, but here if it's like, like apple cider vinegar or something, it has that acidity of the vinegar, of that kiyua, is acidity, the peire, it's still there. So it's still possible to treat fruit with it, even though it's fruit vinegar and it's, it's weaker than, uh, than other than wine vinegar, perhaps, but it has this acidity, so it's able to work on the meat. So it, no longer extant. Once you've used the vinegar once, even if it was a strong vinegar, vinegar to begin with, once you've used it once, it's pasnished. You can't recycle it again to do the same chemical reaction. This word kiua, real quick, one minute thing about kiua, is we say our harosis should be have kiua in it. And there's a whole machlokis about the tapuchim, the apples that go in our harosis. We're going to see that. We're going to see the recipe. And Pesachim is going to have the recipe for harosis. It's going to say we use tapuchim, and the Mephoshim say that they're kiua that they are sharp, they're, they're acidic. So there's some of some achronim later on, they say, that, that's not apples, apples are sweet. So obviously, not obviously, because there's a whole discussion about this, about what to put in your harosis. So kiua here, it's acidic, but we understand that some apples are a little more acidic than others. There's some green apples, crab apples, sorb apples, certain apples have more acidity. So maybe there's an Indian in your harosis, we're gonna get later in the, in the Gemara, so the recipe, Maybe there's an Indian of Kiwa to make sure those apples are a little bit tart when we put them in our horses.